0: Hi and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and Phil of the regenerative movement. People who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm a transformational coach, breathwork teacher, and committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And in today's episode, I'm here with Dr. Shannon Arvizu. Shannon is the performance expert that that leaders reach out to for help when they need to align focus and improve the execution capabilities of their organization. She has consulted with several tech companies throughout the Bay Area to develop high-performing teams and improve outcomes, including those at Google, SurveyMonkey, Electronic Arts, and many others. She has spoken on topics such as how to transform your millennial managers into epic team leaders, hacking your team brain, and as a team performance researcher, she's also the author of the recent study Empowering the Next Generation of Team Leaders in Fast-Moving Startups. So with these words, I'm really excited for our conversation. Welcome, Shannon.
1: Thank you. What are yeah. we gonna talk about?
0: Yeah, what are we gonna <laughs> talk about? I think we're <laughs> gonna talk about epic teams, what it takes to you know, uh, empower and encourage all individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll talk about you know social movements and uh your your kind of your your backdrop and the knowledge on that. I have all kinds of questions for you. Maybe we'll start with you know this is this is the the middle of June twenty twenty. Like a little context here, we're, we're in, in unique global times with a global pandemic. What do you reckon, Shannon? Right now, what does the world most need from people in every sense? <laughs>
1: um all right let's start big um i like i'm sure a lot of people listening have had many existential moments during this time around uh, what does this mean for us as a planet and uh as a species and what does the world need from us right now as global planetary leaders as you mentioned and as someone who has been deeply committed to social change um, as a researcher of social movements, um, as well as someone who's been deeply embedded in this organizational effectiveness world. Uh, I've been thinking about how do we design organizations to better meet the needs of our global citizens. And I've been thinking about the government as an organization and thinking about how can we apply what we know about agile organizations organizations that are very responsive to their customers and are building the right products in the right way at the right speed about what that can mean for our government since increasingly we are relying on these entities that are charged with providing for the public good and it's very clear that there is no one person, there's no one organization that's going to solve the enormity of the challenges that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also clear that, you know, nonprofits and advocacy organizations and um, even, you know, clean tech or other mission-based businesses, we're, it's, it's not enough for people in this field to create the large scale change that we need so it is time to reform our government and i'm thinking about what are the levers that we might have to do that
0: that's super exciting i like that you're you're framing it this way um, that you know i think the word is unilateral like one directional change is is not enough and so there is a, a top down and a bottom up approach that's needed right now basically and it's bubbling up in so many ways. And this is, you know, why I started this podcast two years ago is to, to find many of these like um, regenerative heroes and people that, that are inspiring through either their, their, um, their books and their work or even their companies and their organizations for this regenerative times. But you're taking it, you know, I I would say you're hitting the the nail on the, on its head. Like it's, it's going to need governments that support this. And so, Take us a little deeper, what are you seeing there?
1: Yeah, so when I work with organizations, one of the first things that we ask are, who are your customers and what do they care most about and how are you doing on those things? So if we take our government, then we would ask, who are your citizens? What do they care most about and how are you doing on those things? And if you, I, I have been actively trying to answer this question based on the available data that we have and it's so interesting because most governments don't track citizen outcomes they don't track the impact of the policies on the things that citizens care most about Um, they'll track outputs like say for example the usda U.S. Department of Agriculture, says that one of its uh, core tenets is to make sure that all Americans have access to a healthy, nutritious food supply. And when you look at what are the metrics that they're using to assess their efforts, you find that they're tracking things like the number of free lunches that they deliver to school kids, which is very valuable. However, it doesn't tell us what are the percentage of all American, of all Americans that were able to eat lunch that day? Mm -hmm. And so the first thing that we need to get clear on are what are the things that make up a healthy thriving society? And we need to start tracking those in a systematic way because there's lots of money (laughs) that, is funneled through government entities with the sole purpose of providing for the public good. And I think what we are seeing is that there have been decades of divestment in the public good. And that's why there are so many institutions, like the public health system and even the public safety system. You know, it's just like the wrong incentives have been put in place and the institutions that we have are failing to deliver on the things that we need them to deliver on. So uh, I have this project that I've been brewing called the Citizen Dashboard, and um, it's it's a way to start the dialogue uh, around tracking the things that citizens care most about, and then eventually um, starting to track policies at the city, state, and national level to see what impact we are having on those metrics. And uh, it could also be a source of policy innovation, because we'll be able to see historically which policies have the most impact on which metrics. So we'll be able to spend money more effectively and also encourage all the organizations that are working on these issues to innovate with the government to find out what are the most effective ways to to move those things in the the quickest timeframe possible and in the leanest way possible, because as we know, moving forward, um, governments at every level, state, city, federal, are um, going to be operating with less, given the fact that GDP is lowered and people are, out of jobs and there's numerous factors going on in our economy now that translate into um, less coming into government coincidentally, coincidentally with the need for the government to do more.
0: And so on a global level, we're seeing that, you know, there are first steps towards exactly those, st- these kind of steps you just pointed out, right? Like if I want to simplify this and, and remember you and I had the pleasure to have, have dinner this week actually in a group of friends um, and we were saying that simplified GDP as a metric for well-being of a country or well-being of an economy yeah. is it's it's maybe it served a place for a while um, and even that I, I'd like to challenge personally but like even maybe it served a place for a while But but really now we have to find better parameters to measure our success, or as you said, to fulfill the desires of the customers or the citizens. And so we see that there are some examples. I mean, Bhutan, I think, is the classic one that people have pointed at with their their, their happiness index. But now there's even New Zealand that said well-being is a clear contributor or parameter in which we're going to measure our um, our success as a country. And one, do you think that's the right direction? And then two. How do you see the political opportunity for that in a country like the United States?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, we do have pockets of inspiration, as you mentioned, Bhutan, New Zealand, Amsterdam just announced their version of, um, their model of a well-being index that they're basing off of a book called, uh, Donut Economics. I actually have it right here. I highly yes. recommend everyone read this and, um just for and, those
0: people who listen to the audio, just mention maybe the author as well.
1: Sure. Um, Jonah Economics by Kate Raworth, R-A-W-O-R-T-H. And the subtitle is Seven Ways to Think Like a Twenty First Century Economist. Nice. Um, and yeah, I mean Edmonton in Canada has a version of a dashboard like this. And Um, you know, we have many examples in organizations that of failed policies based on using one metric to assess success, and the one metric that we, that governments have used to assess success has been GDP, and that has had a series of maladaptive impacts. you know, because we have been so focused uh, at growth at any cost, and so the you know it's interesting when you think about what the political opportunity is, and it seems like we do have an opportunity at this moment because people's civic identities are activated um, as a result of being a part of a global event that, is, that has economic consequences. And so we, it's interesting when you think about this notion of a political opportunity, because within history, there are certain windows that open up for change to happen. And it is those social movements that have the right components in place when those windows open up that are successful and i'll just share those components jump
0: in i I, I, I can't (laughs) wait i can't wait to go deeper like these are you know these are topics that even though we'd all like to hack them um hacking we got to go deep
1: right yeah for sure and and there is uh so you know that the formula or the hack kind yeah. of is kind of a hack. I mean, it's it's not easy, but there is a demonstrated approach. Um, you know, based on what we know from social successful social movements in the past, and um, so when you look at those components, uh, there are four main main components. I like to say social movements are a SNAP. It's an acronym for those four components, and so the S stands for story. Uh, we need to have a compelling story around what the problem is and what the solution should be and it needs to be a story that is as inclusive as possible to help the widest number of people feel like the story speaks to them. So the example I like to bring in is of the um, civil rights movement. You know, we all know the story of Rosa Parks, like she was just too damn tired to go sit the back of the bus one day after work. And there were no seats in the back of the bus, so she just sat in the front seat and that's, you know the beginning of the montgomery bus boycott you know but everyone can relate to that, whether you're black or white young old like everyone can relate to the fact that yeah i just know what it's like to be like tired after work and just wanting to like sit down and there's a seat available so yeah um and so you you need a compelling story uh and that has the problem and the solution right so in that case the solution is hey we should desegregate, and anyone should be able to sit anywhere on a bus, no matter your skin color. And that story needs to be supported by a wide network. So the M stands for network of organizations that span cross sectors. So at that time, it was a movement that was composed of colleges and of churches and of businesses. And they were all united around this a action right like hey at this point in time our action is going to be bam we are going to boycott the buses and by the way we are going to create our first rideshare service to be able to help people get to work and get to school so that way we won't have to rely on the buses and then they decided to put that action into place at the right p political opportunity and they use political opportunity that word political really to mean power opportunity yeah and they they decided to implement this action right after the schools were desegregated so brown versus board of education had just passed so it was like okay we just deseg- desegregated the schools there's a moment we've got to desegregate the buses and so because they had the right story, the right network, and the right actions at the right opportunity, bam, they were able to be really effective in that way. So to circle back to where we are now.
0: And the opportunity being or the, the topic being like embedding the notion of making decisions about you know well-being of a country, people, and the planet beyond just the sake of growth for growth's sake.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is it, it is a story that has been around, you know, for decades. I mean, I was even studying that, you know, the Earth Institute at Columbia University, like, I don't even know, 2007. And I remember taking these social enterprise courses at the Columbia Business School, like 2008. And I was like, oh, people, planet, profit. This is like amazing. <laughs> of course, that makes perfect sense. And um, my own research led me also to what it would take to green the transportation field and get into electric cars and electrification of um, our transport industry. And so this, this story that we that we can and should uh, emphasize social and ecological good as well as economic good, it's been around for a while. Um, and there are obviously networks of organizations that are united around that story. Um, and, and it's interesting because we think about the actions. I mean, it's it's pretty well known that to be able to create the shifts that we need, it takes multiple actions at multiple levels mm-hmm. of, of power um, in multiple sectors, right? That, that's the other thing is that the problem that we are confronting um it's multi-leveled um, but you know to date we have made strides i would say in almost every industry there is some mm-hmm. form of progress in terms of um, introducing technologies that bring about social and ecological good but we haven't created large-scale sector-wide change and it seems like we have a moment of opportunity right now. Say, for example, I mean the plummeting of the oil industry overnight—that is freaking interesting. <laughs>
0: well, if you look at the at the well-being and then like let's let's dig into the plummeting of the oil industry. But like it seems like right there is like kind of the breakdown of, of this social movement into like a a like a grounded reality that you know we experience on the planet is as you're saying, this SNAP acronym, story was there for a while. Networks have been pushing for, for a while. There was action in many different areas, but not fully in all sectors. That's where it starts slowing down, right? And then the political power opportunity. Well, I guess it was always there as like the next better thing to do, but really like, I think this is why People Planet Profit, even though it has been all around for such a long time, as an idea. And it's so simplified and so logical, right? Um, It's so clearly the next step of what we call capitalism or the amendment of capitalism. But the political opportunity was never really fully there until we had now maybe a first bold leader, but it's as as a microeconomy like New Zealand, you know, um, who simply started asking different questions. Like um, I I pulled up this, this article from just a year ago in May, 2019, when they first published their, um their agenda right is the questions are like how is their the overall well-being and the mental health of the people right how is the environment doing those are questions that formerly have never seen an access to political power and so you see the collapse of the oil industry as a as a point where that could now you know be a real opportunity for politics or because really we're not especially in the united states we're not really seeing that even though it's an election year
1: yeah I mean that's why it's it, we're seeing things that like a year ago we could never fathom like we we would have never been able to fathom that you know that there would be a negative price for oil or <laughs> um, uh, and you know a whole host of things I mean just you know the the extent of unemployment right now and um you know all the interesting things that are occurring, um, you know, in so many different sectors. And, And there's, you can tell, it's this, we're in this murky water where you can tell that those who still hold the reins, you know, those who have the loudest voices and the most money and the largest platform to continue to keep the old system running, are doing their best to create a veneer like hey this is just a little flip we're gonna go back to everything you know business as usual no big deal (laughs) you know but but then there's just like this groundswell of, of energy you know especially now with the george floyd uprisings and people getting engaged again as citizens people feeling that civic identity activated so, but we will only succeed if we are coordinated in our actions. Mm, absolutely. And I'm not sure that that, you know, we could, I'm not sure that that, that exists currently. Um, the, you know, I'll, I'll speak for the, here in the United States, the quote unquote liberal party, um the downfall of of, or the weakness has been this pluralistic notion you know that we can do all the things and we also tend to be very cerebral and um if we are going to take advantage of this opportunity um we we need to get very tactical and strategic and um and also activate people's Emotions in a way that is directed towards the actions that we need to make happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a a process that could possibly even take you know like like an entire lifetime. I mean, the the first frameworks have been around for years and decades. Uh, there's more frameworks now. The opportunity field is growing, right? The there are definitely dying industries and sectors, and you know, even though there's there's quite a bit of intelligence still holding on to them. Uh, that at some point might might also wash away in the, the stream of time. And so a purposeful capitalism or a capitalism that has more stakeholders than just growth for the sake of growth and, you know, stakeholders being the planet and the people itself. I think it is the direction that now even the World Economic Forum has like clearly announced multiple times that, that this is a direction that they're, they're willing to support even, even away from government, more so into governance, right? Which I think is at the current place, probably more future music than anything, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely a first direction sign. So let me ask you in that context, this is a question i love to ask, what do you think it takes for humanity to learn from past mistakes? Because in other words, that's what we're really talking about here, right? Is is learning from past mistakes and understanding them quicker.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I like to operationalize that into a practical form. And, and so, you know, I think about, well, what, what does it take for an organization to learn from its past mistakes? And, you know, it's pretty clear, one, you need data. They need to understand like, okay, where, where did those mistakes happen? What was the impact? Um, and then two, you know, you need a, a level of psychological safety to say like, yeah, we messed up, but that's okay. We're gonna do better. And this like notion of like a growth mindset that like, hey, where we were doesn't confine us, but where we can go um, is limitless. And I'm. I think the one thing that I'm very excited about is our generation taking the fucking reins, because you know, like just the conversations that we've been having over the past couple of weeks, as um, you know, it's just really inspired me. And 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 our generation has always, actually, it's. Uh, I've been studying our generation since my early twenties because I always had this sense that um, who we are, our beliefs, and and I. And like you, you know, I traveled internationally at a very young age. And so I was always just intrigued by this idea that everywhere I go, I'm meeting people my age who are, you know, informed, who think about themselves as global citizens, who have this notion that um, what they are being told, you know, by their, you know, nationalist, you know, entities, you know, those that are like making up the old power structure is bullshit. And that we, um, have a strong commitment to diversity and that we believe that we are stronger because of our differences Mm -hmm. and that we also, you know, and there's so many elements of our generation's culture that make it so unique. Um, I, I think one of the things that I just thought was really freaking cool was that everywhere I go, I could find, if I wanted to, I could find this really awesome, like electronic music. <laughs> and, it, and it was like this international language for us. Like, it didn't matter if we could speak the same language, but on the dance floor, we were totally vibing. And, um you know, and and also I'll just say it, like, I think our generation is um, defined by our um y- our intention, um, to growth and development and particularly our, our intention to growth and development through plant medicine and, um, through other psychedelics and, and our approach to that. And I'm not saying everybody, you know, but there's definitely, when you look at generational studies, you will find that within every, um generation, noteworthy generation in every culture that in at least in modern history, there's a subgroup of the generation that um that that take that that are that take a, a leadership role in helping to shape and be the the thought leaders. And and I see that happening and I've always seen it happening. And so I'm re- I'm excited about what that looks like once we are in the positions of power, once we are the ones that are leading the conversations at Davos, you know, once we form the majority of Congress. Um, And I think uh, the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda... um, Arden, yeah. Arden, yeah. I mean, she's phenomenal, she's like in her late thirties. Yeah, yeah. And that gives me Which might
0: be one of the reasons why that way of thinking is instantly, you know, implemented and it's definitely a a generational thing from my perspective as well. And it's not that one is better than the other, but it's, there's something about um, the transition from egocentric to ecocentric as a species, right? Where we are finding our space within the circle of life rather than having the circle of life evolve around us. And usually those who have, you know, kind of waited their whole life to come into positions of power um and then have to hold on really dire and hard to stay in those positions of power usually those those people and and sometimes it's a generational thing very obviously other times it's it's, you can also span across multiple generations but those perspectives are usually just leading to more egocentric behavior uh, yeah for companies for organizations for our governments and so it's time to break the chain right it's time to it's time to change this and so the interesting thing is that it takes a lot of action, as you said, multiple times already. And so, you know, that action, it's going to take all of us, everyone listening to, to be activated, to be part of those social movements, social stories, connecting through networks and, and finding the measure of action. It's not something that we're just waiting for someone to do for us.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: And let me maybe ask you as a, a last question here, um, you know, about your dream for the earth. So this is, this has been, and I don't know if I shared this with you yet. This has been like one of the, you know, starting pieces to this podcast journey for me is to understand what is people's dream for the planet uh, that slumbers within you, or maybe that's like super, super clear and awake for you. But specifically in the context of seven generations going into the future, meaning what kind of ancestors can we be for the future?
1: Aldous Huxley has this book called Island. It was his last book that he wrote. So, um, and in it, he talks about this utopian place that incorporates the best of of the wisdom from the East, you know, in all elements of spirituality and um, health and movement um as well as the best of the wisdom of the west you know in terms of um our approach to science and technology and um and it's it's this um it talks about this community that um lives in a way that's more in harmony with the earth but also one that is um attentive to the to what what progress means for humanity in a in a way that feels aligned with our um, real purpose as as human beings so i I think about that as a dream that we can aspire to you know it's not like an Either or, but it's uh, just a mindful integration.
0: Beautiful. I'll just let that sink in.
1: <laughs>
0: let that let that arrive deeper. I like the the scenarios of not either or, but continuously finding the, the pathway of the, you know, the Tao speaks about it as the Wu Wei, you know, the middle path.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Shannon, thank you so much for for taking the time to hop on an interview with me to like, you know, scratch the surface and and kind of show some of the deeper pathways that are there on on these topics. Um, How can people find more of your work? And they'll definitely like link out some of your your social medias and and so forth, but where where would be a good place to connect with you?
1: Probably the best place would be um, my website, epicteams.co. And you could just email me, shannon at epicteams.co, if you want to have a virtual coffee date. I'm always interested in talking with really interesting, inspiring people like yourself and like your listeners.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for today.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's been fun.
0: Thanks for listening. And here we are again. This is your host, Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three-month program, and this discount applies for all one-on-one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe, going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships, and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one in small coaching groups online or in-person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request, I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more how to support the show or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website, that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships and mention the end-of-episode discount I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now. It's 808. That's right, that's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend.